It's great, isn't it? Kids' video. Uh, so we're now going to listen to Sai preach. Sai said, shall I just go up? And I said, oh, oh, do you want to introduce me? And I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to have some fun. So uh, Simon is preaching this morning. He's the pastor here at the church. He also happens to be my husband, so I get quite a lot of uh, you know, freedom to say what I like. Uh, Sai is a great pastor, a terrible cook, and a great dad. Um, but uh, he is absolutely dreadful at cleaning, and he's cleaned our bathrooms the grand total of three times in our married life. But I'm sure after this, that is going to massively improved. But shall we welcome Say up? <laughs> Thanks for that, Chick. <laughs> Actually, I've probably cleaned the, the loos here a lot more than I have at home. In fact, I've cleaned the loos here many, many times. Anyway, I'm, I'm Sai, and it's my joy to bring God's word to you this morning as we continue our series on holy living in Sin City, looking at 1 and 2 Corinthians. Now, before I do that, you've got to admit, one of the cutest animals on a farm has to be piglets, yes? Yeah? Well, maybe. Right, let's see. Let's see. Let's show a video and see if you don't think the same up. Thank you, thank you. Now, uh, you've got to agree, they're, they're pretty cute, aren't they? Aren't they? Now, Freddie loved piglets. He loved playing with them, rolling around in the muck with them, getting covered in mud with them. He even liked sharing their food. It just seemed so normal, so natural to little Freddie. That is until the farmer found him. You see, although Freddie may smell like a piglet at that moment, he was in fact not a piglet. He was the farmer's son. And the farmer reminded him, or scolded him, that whilst he's there to love and, and to be kind to the piglets, he must never behave like them because he was called to a higher purpose than them. Now remember that little analogy there of Freddie and the piglets as I go through 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because in effect that's what the Apostle Paul is doing as he goes through this. He's saying to us as Christians you have been called to a higher purpose therefore you can no longer behave just like the world around us. And the Apostle Paul builds up to this point over the whole chapter. And if you like, the chapter and my message could be summed up in these two phrases in the last two uh, verses that I'll put together, where it says this, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So as I go through this message, I'm actually going to start at the end, we're looking at our ultimate purpose. Then, going to look at our identity being found in Christ. And then, I'm going to look at how this should affect our actions. Purpose, identity, actions. Okay, have you got it? Let's read 1 Corinthians 6. It says this. When one of you has a grievance against another... 
Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will be judged, uh, will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother or, or sister, and that, for, and that before unbelievers? To, his, to, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers or sisters. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men or women who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All, thing, all, all things are lawful for me, but I will not, not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is, meant, is, is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But, sexual, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, whatever is going through your mind at the moment, if it's any thoughts on, oh, I wonder what Si's going to say about going to the law courts or, or sex or homosexuality, all of those things are insignificant and not as important as the significance of what Paul says in verse 19 and 20 about the purpose of our bodies as believers. Or conversely, nothing is as shocking 
Nothing, it, it, nothing is as mind-blowing, not just in this passage, but even in the whole Bible, apart from possibly the phrase Christ crucified, than this phrase that says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God in your body. The sheer enormity of this statement, the magnitude of truth that is contained within it. The awesome privilege and shock factor is, is unbelievable if it wasn't in Scripture. The God of the whole universe, the one who flung stars into space, the one who spoke and life burst into being, the one who breathed on dust and caused it to live, the immortal one who dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible tells us, who from ancient times, people knew that if they saw God face to face, they would surely die. When God appeared to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai on the mountain, and it blazed with fire and smoke, and the people begged, they said, no, no, Moses, you go, you go. We don't want to die. We fear for our lives. The God whose glory, when he allowed it to first fill the tabernacle or the temple was so great that the priests were overwhelmed and they couldn't go near it until God allowed it to subside, his glory to subside a little bit. And then they could go in once they'd offered sacrifices for themselves. And they could, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. The God who the Bible tells us is a consuming fire dwells in you. And dwells in me who believe. Hallelujah. You know, we can understand it about Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in Colossians 2, verse 19, that in Christ, the whole fullness of deity, the King James says Godhead, I like that phrase, uh, dwells bodily in Jesus. Yes, of course that's true for Jesus. He eternally was with God. He was the Word who was there with God and was God. And in John 1 verse 14, it tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled amongst us. Of course, God dwells with him. But the Spirit of God is also fully God. He was there at the beginning of time in creation. He was there filling the tabernacle and the temple with God's presence. He came upon God's servants and empowered them to live for him in the Old Testament. With Jesus, actually the sign that John the Baptist recognized was that the Holy Spirit dwelt upon him and remained in him. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus' death on the cross, he is the one who can come and make his home in you and in me. And John 14, verse 23, makes it clear that the Spirit dwelling in us is equivalent of having the Father and Son dwelling in us as well. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 19, about the Spirit. He says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. As believers, we can be filled with the fullness of God. Friends, you see how incredible this is, that you 
and I, as Christians, have the Holy Spirit come and make his home inside of us. He inhabits our bodies, verse 19 makes clear. You become a temple, a living temple of God. The Greek word for temple, naos, just actually comes from the word to inhabit something. John Calvin writes, what a great honor God bestows upon us in wishing to dwell in us. Gordon Fee writes, in referring to the body as a temple of the spirit, Paul takes the imagery properly that, be, that, that properly belongs to the church as a whole and applies it to the individual. Do you understand that, guys? That we are a temple of the living God. What man could not build for God, God built through the man, Christ Jesus. See, even Solomon, when he built that first glorious temple, recognized in 1 Kings 8 that it was just a symbol. It's just a, 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 a symbol of God's dwelling place, not his real dwelling place. But thanks to Christ, who lived that perfect life, fully pleasing God, so that the presence of God was always with, on, and in Jesus, in his body, for he was God. He chose to die on the cross, taking on himself your sin, my sin, the sins of the world, all the things that we have done against God that hurt one another and damage his creation, so that all who surrender to Jesus can be forgiven. Or as it says in verse 11 of chapter 6 in, in 1 Corinthians, you were washed, that is, cleansed from the stain of your sin. Do you feel dirty on the inside? What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can be washed. You were sanctified, that is, set apart to live for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were justified, legally declared not guilty before God because Jesus took your guilt on himself on the cross. Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you get that given to you. And more than this, just as God raised Jesus from the dead, we have the certain hope too that we will be raised to eternal life as well. Verse 14 in this passage. And more than this, because we've been washed, sanctified and justified, the Spirit lives in us and empowers us, helps us to live for God. When you came to Christ or when you come to Christ, if you haven't given your life to him already, you become a temple of the living God. No longer are we looking for a physical temple building. We are the temple of God. Living stones built together to bring glory to God. Ephesians 2, verse 18 to 22. Your body is important. It is a temple of the living God. 
No higher purpose could be given to it. Morris says this, The body cannot be dismissed as unimportant. The body is for the Lord. It is an instrument wherein we serve the Lord. It's the means whereby we glorify the Lord. The resurrection forbids us to take the body lightly. Tom Wright writes about this passage. The whole passage is about learning how to use the human body in the right way, for the right purpose. As Christians, you belong to Jesus. You are part of his body. You belong to Christ at a cost. Because it says in verse 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price of you going from being unrighteous to the temple of the Holy Spirit was the death of Christ on the cross. And when you gave your life to Jesus, you surrendered your life to him. You're not living anymore for yourself. You're choosing now to live for God. So you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you're choosing to live for God, your true identity is found in Christ Jesus, my second point. It's not found in food. It's not found in sex, verse 12 to 18. Not in your feelings or in your wants or your desires, your natural desires, verse 9 to 10. None of these things define or should define us as humans. Paul makes clear in verse 13 that the whole human race Our identity is not found in sex or sexuality or any natural desire. Our body is meant for the Lord. Our identity is supposed to be found in Christ. Do you know, modern society is totally incorrect and damaging people by promoting this idea that your identity is found in sexuality or in your feelings or in your desires, whether that be heterosexual or homosexual, whether you feel more male or whether you feel more female. It's your body. Do what you want with it is the slogan of our day. All things are lawful for me was a slogan in Corinth at the time. And Paul brilliantly deals with that in verse 12. And he would deal with our slogan as well. It's your life that God has given to you, but you will have to give an account for how you lived it to God. The Bible says your body is fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb got a pregnant lady in the house. Wonderful to know that that baby is being fearfully and wonderfully made by God in her womb. Therefore, because God has made our body, we will be judged by him for what we do with and to our body and other people's bodies for that matter as, as well. God loves your body. Funny thought, I know, strange, isn't it? But he does. He loves your body. He gave it 
to you. He made it. You may feel like it's uh, not, not that good. It might, might feel like, oh, it's the wrong body for me. It's not. It's the body that God made for you. You see, the Bible is very clear that we are by our nature, our natural selves, objects of his wrath. We are corrupted by sin right from the moment of conception. Psalm 51 verse 5 makes clear. Therefore, many of the things that seem natural to us, that come naturally to us, are actually sinful and bring us under God's judgment. They bring us under his wrath. And if you're trying to live to please God, if you're trying to serve him, then we don't entertain those thoughts, those feelings, those desires that are contrary to God's nature. You see, if the ultimate purpose of our bodies is to be temples of the Holy Spirit, bringing glory to God, then everything we do must be measured by, does this activity bring glory to God? Is this activity fitting for a temple of the living God? Is this thought, is this, word, this conversation, is this action in line with what God would want? Who we are, what we're living for, our identity, the primary way in which we identify ourselves all find their true answer in Jesus Christ. God paid the very high price, the death of his son, in order to redeem us from our sin-infested nature and enable us to have the privilege of finding our identity in Christ. Hallelujah. So, if the purpose of our lives is to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, bringing glory to God in our bodies as we find our identity in Christ, then it's almost superfluous for me to say that our actions need to be consistent with our identity and our purpose. You get that, yeah? You get that, that's... Our actions need to be consistent with who God has made us to be and designs his design for us. You see, what leads to wrong actions is sin, yes, that's part of it, but also wrong thinking. See, none of us live in a vacuum. We've, we, we've got a culture around us that shapes the way that society thinks. It's natural defaults. And the same was true in Corinth. And you see that in this chapter. Uh, Tom Wright says, Every generation has its own blind spots, its own sudden enthusiasm for some moral rules, and its own angry rejection of others. You see, for the Corinths, the body was unimportant back then. In Greek time, the body just, it didn't really matter. You can do what you like with it. God's just concerned with your soul. That's what they thought. And so that's why they engaged in such outrageous behavior. The culture of their day was to go to the law courts for anything and everything. Oh, you've upset me. I'm going to take you to, to court. William Barclay makes clear. So Paul speaks into that and shows them 
and us through them that this is not the way we are to behave as Christians. You see, the Bible shapes what we do and don't do as Christians. Not our culture, not our thoughts, not our feelings or desires, because we're not living for ourselves or this world. We're living for Jesus Christ. For our purpose is to glorify God in our bodies, not to please ourselves or contemporary society. So this is our rule book for life. And one quick note before I finish. Kids, you've done really well. Quick note, just because this chapter has been misused. And in in life groups this week, we're going to look into more detail on some of these uh, actions on what God requires us to do and not to do. But uh, as this passage has been misused, I just want to say this. If you have problems with another Christian, try to deal with it between you and them in the first place. If the matter persists, then involve the pastoral team and we will help you with that issue. However, if the matter is of a criminal nature, then other biblical principles come into play and we must involve the police in that situation. And you must feel free to do that without feeling like you're violating this particular scripture. John Calvin, the famous theologian, says, if a Christian wants to prosecute his rights in the court of law without going against God, he must take special care not to come into court with any desire for revenge. Leave revenge to God, but you can still go to court. Out of honoring the state, the law of the land, out of protecting and loving your neighbor, some things need to be brought before the courts of the land. However, if we're all recognizing that the purpose of our bodies is to be temples of the Holy Spirit and that our identity is to be found in Christ, then our actions, our feelings, and our desires are being brought into line with that so that we bring God glory by the way we live, then the the need to go to the law courts or the police should not be there amongst us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So glorify God in your body. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the band to come back up here? Just while the band are here, they're coming up here, if you don't know Jesus this morning, as I've been speaking, if you've been listening and think, actually, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be washed. I want to be sanctified. I want to be justified. I want to be declared not guilty. Then just pray this prayer along with me. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I have done wrong. Please help me through the power of your spirit 
to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.